It's now time for the next episode of Coachology with Courtney. Let's go. Hey everyone, it's Courtney Hudson here with Coach at a Click and Engineer Performance Lab. And I uh, just wanted to start this new series that I want to do with several of my friends in you know, physical therapists, which is what we have today. I have some other physical therapists that want to, you know, be a part of this and trainers, baseball coaches, and just try to get more information um, to you guys about how to stay healthy, how to be the best pitchers, and just some just great information for softball pitching in general. So I'm going to let uh, Mr. Tyson here introduce himself and kind of give you a little background on what he does. And then we're going to start our conversation on overuse injuries, big one for softball. All right, Tyson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My name is Tyson Christman. I've been a physical therapist It'll be 18 years in uh, June. Uh, spent most of my career in uh, outpatient orthopedics, treating athletes from, you know, the youngest of age to uh, professional athletes along the way. Uh, currently, I work in uh, Montgomery at a place called Heart, Spine and Rehab. It's a privately owned chiropractor slash PT office. And uh, I, I work there full time and we, we treat just anybody who comes through the door. Um, for anybody who's out there and they see this and they want to ask me questions personally, they can reach me at my, uh, my personal email. It's Chrisman, C-R-I-S-M-A-N, 11, the number 11. So Chrisman11 at yahoo.com. You can email me. I check that daily and I'll be glad to answer any questions or help you find somebody or, or, or some help if you need it. Oh, perfect. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of questions after we get going here on this topic. So um, when we were trying to nail down our topic, overuse injuries came up and, and Tyson, you listed probably 11 different overuse injuries, at least <laughs> like the list kept going. I was like, well, we, I don't think people are going to listen to us that long. So that's where we're going to have to have you back. But um, I wanted to focus in on two of the the ones I feel like I see the most in not just softball pitchers, but in any athlete, because at my facility, we have a lot of, we have basketball, we have baseball, of course, softball, and we've had, you know, volleyball, golfers, we've had everybody, a little bit, everybody come in. And um, I see a lot of Seaver's disease and Osgood slaughter. Did I say those right? You said them perfectly. <laughs> okay, yes, good. Yes, yes. So, so they're actually the same uh, issue, but in different parts of the body. So okay. uh, we'll start with, we'll start with Seavers. Yeah. Which, sure. uh, you know, from, from my standpoint, we're talking softball. I do see a lot of this in softball players, especially pitchers. Mm -hmm. um, but Seavers is uh, basically where your Achilles tendon attaches to your uh, heel or your calcaneus. Uh, there's a growth plate there. And when your calf muscle gets tight or you go through a growth spurt, active children, and this isn't active children, Statistically right now, it's more common in boys than it is girls, but that gap is, is narrowing very quickly with uh, girls getting more active in sports and having more sports to be active in. Um, but basically, that tendon pulls on that growth plate and it causes an inflammation there at that growth plate and actually stimulates bone growth and it becomes inflamed, painful, uh, and, and can be a really, really, really big issue that's hard to get over if it gets out of hand. Um, Seavers, uh, 
is really easy to kind of spot most of the time if you know what you're looking for. But the problem is a lot of people don't know what to look for. Um, for, for, for me, I have an 11 year old, uh, that went from doing cheerleading, you know, once or twice a week for the city, got in junior high, made the cheer team and they practice every day. She came home a couple of times. My heel hurts. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll be fine. You're, you're just, you know, getting used to it. After about a week or two, I started worrying about her and I looked at it and kind of figured out what was the process was starting. I'm a physical therapist. I have contact. So I made some calls and got some things done and we were able to attack it before it got bad. So she was never able to have to leave competition or anything. We were able to manage it from there. And it progresses that quickly in about two weeks. It, all right. it, it take, yeah. To, to okay. get to a point where you're in a boot or, okay. or you're being taken out of competition, you're probably looking at more than two weeks. Okay. Um, uh, most of those kids who are that bad have had heel pain for a long, long, long time. Okay. And it's, it's easy as, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm 40 years old. So my dad was like, you know, walk it off. That was, that was the, you know, walk <laughs> yeah. it off. Rub some and dirt we, on it. Right. <laughs> that's it. And we tend to ignore, you know, oh, they're just active and they're hurting. Right. But if you really listen to them and look at them, you can look for the right things and, and the right signs and symptoms. And it's always safe to go and get them checked out. It's never going to hurt to go and get your kid checked out and, and at least get ahead of it. If you're ahead of it, it's not a bad problem. Uh, I think when we were talking, you mentioned everybody's scared of the word disease, right? Right. They think it's terminal. This is it forever. There's no stretches. There's nothing. We just have, this is how life is. That's, That's how a lot right. of people approach it. <laughs> so, so Seaver's disease, if you really look into it, it was actually written about or, or, or discussed for the first time in 1912 by Dr. Seaver, you know, but back then everything was called a disease. It's like Osgood Slaughter's disease. Everything was just called a disease. That was, if it was something wrong with you, it was a disease. Um, you know, the, 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 for Seaver's, the things that they call it now is a uh, uh, calcania, calcaneal apophysitis or attraction apophysitis traction being that it pulls on that there's a traction or a pull on that uh, growth plate um so they, they've they've tried to go more towards scientific type names versus just naming it after somebody and calling it a disease um so the disease part is very scary but the good thing about both of these that most people don't realize is that with or without treatment, and we want to treat it, but with or without treatment, you typically grow out of it. Well, that's good to know. Because okay. your growth plate's going to close once you're fully grown. Once it's fully closed, you're done. With it. it's, it's over. That process can't happen anymore. It's, it's kind of going, you may have tight calves and you might have a tight quad, but mm -hmm. you're not going to have the pain that's associated with the growth plate being open and the inflammation is there. Okay. So, if the the tendon is the Achilles tendon is pulling on the growth plate in the heel for Seavers, where what's the pull? What's the anatomy for uh, Osgood Slaughters? So Osgood Slaughters yeah. is your 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 quad starts at your hip and comes across, and your patella sits inside of it, and then the mm -hmm. bottom part is called your patellar tendon. It attaches to what's called the uh, tibial tuberosity. There's okay. a little bony knot there. So when you see Osgood Slaughter. Especially, I know everybody's seen that, that young boy that's 13, 14 years old with a big knot on his knee. Yeah. When that's, that's that traction that's happening, that bone growth that it's stimulating. And that is a very, 
it's typically more painful than Seavers. It is a very, very painful issue. And it's actually a little bit harder to prevent just because it's, it's such a big muscle that pulls there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and treating it's a little bit more tricky, but not, not too much. Um, just from experience, uh, stretching your calves pretty easy. And there's just a couple of stretches you do there, but you're stretching your quad and you're doing some things like that. It's easy to put a boot on your foot and take away uh, the movement in your heel and help it calm down. It's not quite as simple when you're working with the knee that bends. Most people don't want to put a brace on that makes their leg real stiff or get on crutches. So most kids will just actually just kind of push through it uh, and, and treat the symptoms. But the key to these is if you can recognize them early, if you can recognize them early, as we did my 11-year-old, mm-hmm. I was able to get her on stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the doctor prescribed some topical um, anti-inflammatories that are out there now uh, and, and actually had her on a, an, an oral anti-inflammatory until the pain subsided and we were able to kind of modify her activity just a little bit. We kind of, I more shut her down at home than I did shut her down for, for cheer. I let her just go to the cheer. And we, and we put uh, some, some um, heel cups in her cup in her shoes to kind of raise her heel up and take some pressure off of that, uh, off of that heel. Okay. I was curious about the heel cups too. So I, I was going to ask if footwear had anything to do with the tight Achilles, like if, you know, if there's certain shoes athletes, your kids can wear, or if it's even a thing. Uh, not really. You okay. can, really, the best thing to do is just buy a heel cup. And you okay. can get those off of Amazon. You can get them anywhere. You can go down to Rite Aid and get them. Um, mm-hmm. And just, it's you put those in their, in their shoe, and they wear, I would put them in both so they're equal. Okay. Uh, and, and actually, uh, I think it's about 60% of seizures actually occurs in both heels. For, for, for kids, it's on both sides. Uh, it's not just one side versus the other. Um, but you can just a heel cup, okay. basic one, put it in their shoe and let them wear it. Uh, I would suggest like a, a shoe with a back so that the heel cup stays where it's supposed to. Okay. Um, just a basic tennis shoe, but you can put them in church shoes or whatever else you, they like to wear. Uh, even Crocs, you can get away with them sometimes. Okay. You got to put, put it in four low, right? That's what my, my kids tell me. You got to put yeah, the back yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Sports mode. Sports mode. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um. if you're looking at those two diseases, so uh, they both occur at the same time, uh, time frame. Okay. So for boys, it's typically a little later because they tend to hit their growth spurt a little later. So you're looking at from the ages of about 10 to about 15. Uh, okay. For girls, they hit their growth spurt and mature a little bit earlier. That's why you see the 12 year old girls twice as tall as the little boys at that point in time. Right. Right. So there theirs is theirs is from eight to about 13. Now, it can, you can go outside of that range, but that's the range. But that's the, the, the average range for those for both of those um, issues. OK. And that's um, really the, the biggest group of athletes I have at my facility is like that eight to 13, which covers kind of both growth growth phases. Um, yeah, right. the. So if my child came home and said his heel hurts, do I go ahead and he's nine years old, you recommend I go ahead and get him checked like immediately or is there stretches or. Right, right. Every child's different. So my 11 year old is one of those ones when the wind blows, it hurts. 
Got it. So we, we kind of had to play that by ear a little bit, but mm -hmm. I started recognizing some of the signs and symptoms and, and things you look for would be like, uh, you know, heel pain. And if it's on both sides, absolutely. You want to, that's a, that's a big sign because again, okay. it's, it happens on both sides. So that's, that's one you want to start looking at. Okay. Um, if they're limping, you know, if, if you, if you look at their heel and it's red and it's swollen, those are, those are big signs. Those are signs that something's going on. Um, if there's no injury, so let's, let's say, you know, you have a cheerleader or a, or a, or a pitcher and they pitched, you know, a whole game and they said, Hey, no, the field was hard and it made my heel hurt. Okay. Well, you might give that one a couple of days, but if it's going on for a week or two, absolutely. I'd go get them checked out, but redness, swelling, if it's on both sides, those are some big, you know, red flags for you to start. All right. We might want to get this checked out. Okay. Well, good. Thank you for that. What, so um, let's go to Osgood Slaughter. So what about the knee? What are some of the pain and signs and symptoms you would look for? Same thing. You're going to, you're, they're going to start complaining of pain in the knee with, with activity. And it's typically with activity there, whether they're running or they do a lot of activity, or it may be right after activity. Okay. Uh, again, you're going to start noticing that swelling and that bump form on the front of their, uh, their knee. Uh, that will happen fairly quickly. I wouldn't say two weeks, but if it's been going on about a month, you're going to start noticing that and it will be tender to the touch. You touch it, they're not going to like you. Um, okay. Those are some big key signs to get them to. Um, there's treatments for that too, you know, stretching your quad, um, also doing some strengthening of the quad. There's some, uh, you know, things that are good, like rolling out with a the, with the roller or, or some soft tissue mobs. Um, you, if you can get them to a PT, a lot of times they can find some restrictions in there, whether it be in the patellar tendon down at the bottom or up in the quad itself, that you can treat that helps that muscle be a little looser, causes less pull on that, on that tibia and reduces the pain. Uh, you can also, you've seen it in basketball all the time, little basketball players that have the, the knee strap that's around their knee. Yeah. Um, that is a very good tool for this. Um, it actually helps the tendon pull from a different point. It's pulling from where that strap goes across versus pulling all the force from the tibia. And that can reduce a lot of pain and help those kids continue to play. Or if you catch it early, can slow the process down and, and sometimes even stop it. Awesome. Well, cool. I was wondering how those bands work because I've, I've seen them um, used in the, the arm here too. For that same same so theory. Just pull. Same theory. It pulls from the, the force comes from where the band is versus pulling from where the tendon attaches. Um, you don't take all the force away, but you reduce it a lot. So there's less pain. You can play longer without pain. Perfect. Okay, cool. Learn that. All right. So, um, so let's, let's move to the, because I think you cover those thoroughly. Like, now I know as a parent, if I have this see signs and symptoms that, you know, not just a one time, like, okay, it could be just the field or whatever. Um, I can't track it back to an actual injury. I know when to take them to a professional. Right. Perfect. And even if the, even if you get to a point where they're really bad, the, the signs and symptoms are treatable. Um, mm -hmm. There are times where the doctor will put you in a boot or shut you down from playing for a little while, but those are typically shorter periods just to help get the inflammation down. And then you can ease back into playing and, and they're going to send you to a therapist or somebody like that. That's going to help you through that process. And it's typically really short. So, and again, the disease sounds, sounds like it's forever, but again, kids grow out of it. Their, their growth plates close down and, and then it's over with that process stops. Got it. Okay. 
well, good. Oh, we got a visitor here. All right. Um, so I'm surprised you haven't heard my dogs barking in the background at the gas man. Oh, good deal. Yeah, we're my guard dog is on duty, but no, nothing so far. <laughs> All right. So let's you and I before we started recording had a, a good little a brief conversation about just overuse injuries in general. So I want to go back to that because you had some really good information about, you know, baseball pitch limits and softball pitch limits and the research and kind of where we're at. So um, if you remember part of that conversation, I'd love to get that recorded for everybody else. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll, let's start here. When the research is, is, is coming out more rapidly now over the windmill pitch, uh, there's not a lot of it out there because fast pitch is just now really grabbing hold and running like rapid fire through everything. Um, and we as therapists and, and, and my, I myself, so I started 18 years ago, it was just getting big where I'm at here in Alabama. So I had to go and I had to learn. And then my daughter started pitching. So of course, even now going with you, I've learned a lot more about the mechanics of pitching and it helps me to do my job. Um, but the research shows that the stress in the shoulder it's about the same as the stretch of the shoulder for an overhand pitcher in baseball. So there is still a lot of stress in that shoulder. It affects different muscles in the shoulder. Um, baseball tends to go to rotator cuff, okay. where fast pitch pitching, when you're looking at anterior or the front shoulder pain, is normally the long head of the biceps because of the position that they get in at the at about 12 o'clock and then more like nine and six o'clock that that's where they feel a lot of their pain because mm -hmm. you're starting to stretch that bicep out because you have elbow extension and some of those things and that puts that bicep on stretch so anterior shoulder pain with fast pitch um pitchers is normally that long head of that bicep mm -hmm. and and that's where you're getting a lot of trouble with those um the research shows pitchers fast pitch pitchers when they they have pain when they have pain about 60 percent of the time it is in the shoulder and most of those are the long head of the bicep that's um i've, I've heard and seen some pretty nasty bicep injuries right like and there's, there's yeah and there's there's uh research out there on pitchers that have, have actually torn that long head of the bicep mm -hmm. doing that uh with you know if they pitch too much or or uh, go with too much force. If you look at it, and, and if you follow proper mechanics, and we were talking, you you broke down my daughter's pitching for me, um, and you and you were talking about how she didn't open up enough with her hips to get, you know, for her hips facing third base and and her arm going out into abduction. Um, mm -hmm. When you're looking at it, and there's there's an article, there's an interesting article out there that's it's, it's a research that says, and I'm gonna read it here because I have it with me, that uh, most of the pitchers displayed um and this was college level pitchers that they monitored and they they had the ones that had pain and the ones that didn't have pain and the ones who had pain uh displayed uh greater shoulder shoulder horizontal abduction at foot contact and less trunk flexion to the throwing side of the ball so basically i you know from what you showed me they probably don't open up as much so their arm is out further away from their body therefore getting more stretch on that biceps head. Um, the, other, the other articles that are out there talk about how fast pitch pitchers change their mechanics to maintain speed. And they do that because of fatigue in their shoulder and their hips. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then when they do that, then that's when you start getting these overuse injuries. Your, your um, little book you send out, the 64 page book that you send out. One of the greatest things I, I, and I loved about that book was what makes 100 pitches the magic number. And, and, and you talked about that. Why is that the magic number? Who knows? Somebody came up with that. I'm sure some pitching guru came up with that somewhere. You throw 100 pitches a day, right? But right. the biggest thing you said was you have to look for signs of fatigue. If their form is wrong, Number one, you're, you're, you're just teaching bad muscle memory, so their form's never going to be right. You're not practicing with good form because they're fatigued. But the second thing is, is when you get fatigued, and it shows this, and, and this is a big thing that they're, they're really putting out there right now, is after one game, they tested strength before and after, and the muscle fatigue before and after the game is amazing for pitchers. The, the hip and the uh, scapular muscles were the two big ones that were the most effective. Mm -hmm. And if your scapula is weak, your shoulder is going to roll forward and you're doing that motion, you're putting more strain on that bicep. So those are things that we have to start looking at is when your pitcher starts getting fatigued and they're, they're uh, you know, this is practice um, or, or, you know, some throwaway game, mm -hmm. pull them out of the game. Don't, don't let them sit there and beat themselves up. Um, and it's, it's, it's really getting, it's, it's more of a hot topic now because you look at uh, the college world series and how many pitches those girls, some of their best pitchers throw right. in a short amount of time. Uh, um, I think, I think one of the biggest things that I noticed last year was even Montana Fouts. By the time she got to that game where Alabama got put out, she had mm -hmm. thrown a lot of pitches. I think she was, I think she was a fatigued pitcher and I think they were teeing off on her. I mean, I believe it is the amount of energy and, and this is something that you won't know until you're in the college softball dugout, the amount of mental and physical energy you have to exert to keep up with the cheers, to hustle to, you know, if you're a pitcher, because I pitch second games, mostly I had to run to the fence between every inning of the first game. Um, right. And then, you know, Am I getting fed between games? Some college programs make it a priority. The parents bring food and some of them don't, you know, so right. being that second game starter, you know, you're fatigued before you even get the ball in your hand. And, you know, it's the, the metal cleats, the standing, like you're, you're getting fatigued the entire time. And even if you are the starting pitcher, there's still so much more like mental energy that you have to expend that you don't, you don't feel in the travel ball level. Cause I I've pitched 23 innings in a day and I don't think I moved till Tuesday, but I was fine to throw next week that I had no injuries, but in right. college I throw, you know, one seven inning game. I'm like ice bath, like, just go ahead. Like <laughs> let's get this like, recovery started. Um, well, I don't ice anymore, but I used to. <laughs> well, you, well, you yeah. mentioned that, that, that in college you started having problems too. There is a mental aspect to that too. Mm -hmm. But if uh, Dr. Andrews, out of Birmingham, they used to, uh, you know, uh, James Andrews, uh, you know, surgeon to the stars. Right. Uh, one of the things he mentioned in the early 2000s when there was a, a, a rash of uh, younger players having uh, elbow injuries in baseball because travel ball had picked up and there was, they started the pitch count deal. Mm -hmm. Another thing he noticed was that the pitchers who were making it to the pros at that time started having injuries. And he was linking that back to the fact that how many pitches they had thrown when they were younger and had injuries and 
the overuse had started years before, but now they're getting to a higher level where they're forced to throw harder and, and you're pushing yourself a little more. And now they're having the injuries. And he thinks that the increase in Tommy John surgeries that he did in the pros during that time was linked back to an increased amount of pitching when they were younger. And I've always heard from baseball people, there's only so many bullets in the gun. Like there, right. there is a, there's, there's an ending. So, you know, if, if baseball, if that's a common, I don't know if it's common in baseball, but the, the people in baseball that I've been around, it's common to them. Um, and I'm a, a lot around a lot of really great baseball coaches. Um, but you just like, nobody ever really talks about it for softball. And I'm like, well, throwing is throwing. It's like you mentioned, it's this almost the same exertion with the shoulder through pitching overhand and underhand. Uh, but you know, I would love if more people read that book about the 400 pitches a week limit. Um, that's a right. pretty good rule of thumb. I feel like, um, because the younger girls who throw low velocities, they can get away because they're not putting as much uh, stress in the joint with each pitch. Um, so even though maybe the tendons and the ligaments start creating the movement, once you get past 70 pitches instead of the muscles, you know, it's still a decent number, like 400 in a week. That's in the seven in days in a week. Yeah. So yeah. If you throw including games. Including, including games. games. Yeah. I think, you know, for me with my daughter, who is a pitcher, um, to do more quality practice than quantity mm -hmm. especially during this season um i don't like to see her throwing at practice you know when they scrimmage too much during the season especially mm -hmm. if she's going to be the main pitcher for them at this point in time because it adds up to her pitches that she's going to need to throw for the team later on mm -hmm. um so when we practice you know we'll do some warm-ups and i'll make sure she gets nice and loose but then I try to say, all right, we're going to do, you know, this many fastballs, this many change up, this many drop balls. And we try to make, try to make the form right. And we try to focus on form versus just pure speed or power or something like that. And sometimes we'll even practice. I say, all right, I don't want you to throw hundred percent today. I want you mm -hmm. to keep your form good and let's throw it about 80 or let's throw it about 70 so that, that, she's practicing and building strength a little bit and endurance, but we're not beating that shoulder up like we would during a game. Exactly. There's, there's, you made me think of three things. I want to touch on those super quick. Um, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier about getting when the shoulder gets an adduction here, that that's when we put a lot of strength stretch. So if your hands on top of the ball, that's, that's fancy word for hand on top of the ball. Okay. Um, to know if a pitcher is doing that, the glove hand is going to be flying all over the place. It's going to be out of control because once you get into that position, you lose a lot of mobility in the shoulder. And it's like a, like, how can I get my shoulder a move when you've already locked it in? So you see glove hands flying, which I know if anybody is still listening at this point, which I hope you are, this is great information. You're probably thinking of your daughter, yourself, or you could probably name four or five kids that you've seen pitch that have just these awful glove shoulders. And it's not really the glove hand. It's the position of the shoulder. And that is one of the direct positions that a lot of girls are still being taught, you know, get on top of the ball that is adding to all these potential injuries and these overuse injuries that we're seeing in the bicep. So that's the first thing. If your gloves flying out crazy, call me, email me, let's get that under control. Cause it's the shoulder position. Um, second thing I was on a roll here. The, um, the quality practices that you're talking about, the um, 
getting an athlete to move, to go through her motion at 50% speed and still throw a strike is one of the hardest things I have girls do because you really have to be in control of your body. So I love that you have your daughter focus on a low intensity. You're not going hundred percent and just focus on the movement because that, that is challenging. Like go try it. <laughs> if y'all haven't right. tried it at all, try to get through your full pitching motion and throw strikes at about 50% speed. Right. And you know, that'll tell you if you really understand your movement, your mechanics or not. Okay. So, um, I can't, I had three things. Those only two I remembered, but. <laughs> but that, and that, that's what, that's what I liked about your book was you basically focused on quality, you know, quality practices right. versus necessary quantity. And, exactly. you know, I have, I see these girls that I, you know, that are I've treated throughout the years and, you know, they pitch a game and the next day they go to their pitching coach and they throw a hundred pitches over there too. And I'm like, no wonder you're here with your shoulder hurting. And glove hand shoulders too, by the way, the glove hand typically tends to be more of a rotator cuff problem, but, but they come to me with all these issues. Uh, they get back injuries. That's another common yeah. injury, but we can cover that some other time. And we'll talk about yeah. that. Um, um, uh, spondylolisthesis and, and those things occur a lot, but mm -hmm. they're overused in this because most of the time their fatigue and their form has changed. Not many kids get hurt throwing one game a week. I mean, it can happen, but right. typically you're, you're big time pitchers who normally have good form when they start out because you're not throwing at the speeds and, and with the accuracy that they're throwing with just terrible form. When they start to get hurt is when they're fatigued and, and they're doing the things that you talked about. And that's where I, I, I preach to not only, you know, uh, travel ball coaches or rec league coaches, but to high school coaches. And, um, you know, I've been involved in several high-level high school programs with, with anything from softball to football or whatever else. And that's, mm -hmm. those are the things I stress to the coaches. Sometimes, you know, especially during the season, you got to back off a little bit and let these guys recover or these girls recover so that they're, they're able to perform the next time you need to go out there. If they're fatigued and they're hurt, you're not going to have 100% of your athlete. You're going to have 80%. And, right. and we all know it. 100% athletes going to help you a lot more than, than that 80%. And sometimes that 20% can make a difference. You're, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to, I'm going to reference my mentor real quick because he was a part of Duke basketball through the nineties. And if anybody's basketball fans listen in, you know, they went to, I think nine final fours in the 12 years that he was there and won four national championships. And he basically what you're touching on is, we don't care about the first game of the season. I'm not going to put my ace out there for seven innings. If it's the first game of the season. Yeah. We got a cheese stick in, in here. <laughs> All right. Um, and it's, you want your athletes to get the reps and get the practice, but you, you still need them hundred percent when it comes to the playoffs. So right. March, March 1st was Duke basketball's season. That's when they started their season. They train, they had to win enough games to get it there, but they're Duke. So they're going to win enough. They're going to have enough talent to make it to the tournaments, <laughs> but you know, that's what they trained for. So they had to have, you know, at least eight out of the, the 13 guys on the team, 13, 15 guys on the team be a hundred percent. Thank you. Be a hundred percent going into March right. madness. Right. And the preseason here, why are we throwing our ace pitcher in 38 degrees for two games? 
Right. Don't you want to win? <laughs> right. And it's like, the same thing. You see it in you see it in the NFL. When yeah. it gets right close to playoff time and they know they're in the playoffs, the last two games are throwaway games. They sit mm-hmm. their their starting quarterback. Why? Because they want him ready to play in, in, in a month or, or two or three weeks so that he's ready for the playoffs. And and that's it's hard to get that across to coaches though, because mm-hmm. there's such a pressure on them, I know, for winning these days. Yes. If you're not winning, you're getting you're 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 getting hounded. And right. you know, there's a there's a ton of rollover these days in coaches. I mean, I'm, you see coaches win ten games in a football season and they're getting fired. So, you know, wow. it's 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 you know, the, I understand the pressure there, but I also know that at the end of the day, if if you got one loss like University of Georgia had, but you win the national championship, everybody kind of forgot about the fact that Alabama handed them a butt whooping in the SEC championship game, right? So I'm a Bama right. fan. We got we got beat, but sure did. That's, that's, that's the yeah, that's the that's kind of where you're at. So. It's, it's hard to get that balance with coaches. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in rec ball leagues are so short and they're competing for certain things. But if, if, if they would learn to manage them a little better, I think we'd have a lot less inter, uh, injuries and, and, and probably some better outcomes in the long run. Right. Growing the sport, which is the ultimate goal here. We're, we're not doing this to bash coaches. Like, please don't take it right. that way. It's oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. We, we want to educate because we're, we're invested in this sport like tremendously and we want it to see, we want to see it get better. So if we can save the arms and you know, there's plenty of catchers. Like I got a girl right now who's yes. yeah, you know, exactly. She's, she's been dealing with um, some arm stuff, uh, you know, a pinch nerve that she, she just, we're just trying to get her strength back in her arm. Um, right. and she's a primarily a catcher and plays third base. So that's a lot of throwing. Um, you know, she's been through her, her therapy. She got released from physical therapy and I have that. So, you know, how the laws are here in Alabama, it's like that she's released. She can do like normal daily activity with that arm, but she's not sport ready. So that's when right. my, my team jumps in and we're like, okay, the doctor said you can go but we know it can't be hundred percent. Let's put you on a pitch count and a limit and let's strengthen up your arms and let's keep doing the stretches. And what can we do with our lower half to rest our upper half to, you know, how can we produce more force from the lower body to take that stress off the arm? And so, you know, I see that a lot with the catching position because every time they catch the ball, they got to throw it back. And most of the time you're it's open- not, it's not good form. <laughs> yeah. You're opening up a whole nother kind of warm, how to transfer power from the, from the lower extremity to the upper extremities, but that's a whole lot of core exercise that we can get into in another topic, which I'd love to talk yeah. to you about. But the, the, the main thing is, are there going to be pitch counts in softball? I do think that they will be coming. Um, how soon they get there? I don't know. And, and we talked about it earlier, the softball pitch, is such a hard uh, motion to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it's not like every girl on that field can step up there and pitch a strike. You can't. The, right. the the mechanics of it, the the release, the timing that it takes to become a good pitcher, takes a lot of work. And and I learned that by watching my daughter learn how to do it. I started learning about fast pitch pitching with my daughter, who's who's fourteen now, and and we mm-hmm. had to just work through it. And you see, we still have a lot of work to do. Um, but. Baseball will have, and we talk about half the team's a pitcher. Wow, because it's the same motion. It's the same arm motion. There's a little bit different, but not really. If you can throw from shortstop, you can probably throw a strike. It's not that case in fast pitch softball. So, you know, I don't know if the answer is trying to to get more girls to be interested in pitching and, and 
decreasing the stigma that comes along with nine and 10 year old fast pitch pitching because the girl can't throw a strike and she walks everybody and their team gets killed. Right. There's, you know, we, I've been there. My daughter right. was that daughter, uh, was that girl on the mound walking everybody. And, but, you know, we tried to take some positives away from it. So I don't know how, how you do that, but I think there's got to be a push to increase how many girls can actually pitch. And, and that's going to solve a lot of the problems. And, and that is the main reason, like, like, honestly, from a business standpoint, my eight week online beginner program was my best selling program. Like it was the number one thing I didn't have to market it. It just sold, but I'm like, you know what? I want to help more girls. So it is free. I took a pay cut to hand it out for free. So, and this is like, Oh, thank you. And I hope more people hear this and know that it is free. It's something I developed in 2011 exactly, you know, how many reps does it take to develop muscle memory? It's 10,000 reps. If you follow the program exactly, you're going to get 12,500 reps in eight weeks. You are going to be throwing strikes by week six. Like I guarantee it. I've, I've done that program since 2011. So we're like 11 years now and I have four different versions. And really most girls are throwing strikes by six, six week six, if not by week four. So it's, it's out there and it's, you know, the mechanics that we talked about with your daughter, it's the baseline for those high level mechanics that I teach all my older girls. So it's, it's free. You just, I, I just need your email address and you can learn how to pitch. So, well, and in the, in the book that you send along too, because that's how we found each other. I found yeah. your site and we started talking the, yeah. the, and, and the 64 page book, there's a lot of good information in that, that I think as a parent or a coach or whoever, that you've you've researched and put a lot of time into and and it's good information and you know that's how we got talking about the overuse injuries is i I wrote to you and was like hey please preach this some more so yeah well i'm I'm glad we got that opportunity and we're definitely going to have to do this again so but tyson i really i appreciate this i know the softball community appreciates you spending your time with me here and just sharing your knowledge out um so we're going to have to do this again. I, I, I want to, I want to do a, a talk on transferring the power from the lower body to the upper body. Cause that is, I see a lot of athletes that have like, I can check off all the boxes. You're doing your arm, right. You're doing your leg, right. But you're still not throwing any throwing with any type of velocity. And it's that transfer. So that's it. That's a big one. And again, catchers too. That's for, um, or if all you don't, players. yeah, <laughs> batting all. everything is the transfer of power that goes to any position and pretty much any sport you play. I 100% believe that. Yep. So, all right. Well, I don't have a graceful way to end this, so we're just going to say thank you again. Really appreciate your time. And you want to thank you for having that? me. <laughs> all right. You're very welcome. This has been awesome. <laughs>